Welcome fans, teachers, and fans of teachers. Do you love a great story? I sure do. I've made it my life's work to tell stories that help people to learn and laugh. I'm your host, Kristen Murphy, a small town veteran teacher who loves to share stories with children and adults that inspire, teach, entertain, and just plain make us all better people. I'm so happy you're pairing up with me today on Think, Pair, Teacher, Share. Let the stories begin. Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for joining me today for my first episode of Think, Pair, Teacher, Share. I'd like to introduce myself and tell you why I'm so excited to begin sharing stories to help you improve your teaching, if you are a teacher, to improve your life or just to escape your life. If you don't know me already, I'm an elementary school teacher who grew up in a small town in Massachusetts, went away to college, and then, what do you know, I returned to my hometown to teach, where I have happily told and listened to stories with students for almost three decades and counting now. I also have a sociology degree, and I'm something of a closet sociologist, I guess, searching online for how to teach by learning about people and how they operate. I'm one of those people who notices other people, and I like to study how people throughout history have connected through words and stories to improve their world. In the classroom, I like to encourage my students to express themselves and their passions and to listen to others as well. In fact, I hope that teaching students to express themselves clearly and to listen to others will improve our world. We've had more than our share of disconnection in this country lately, which has resulted in a whole lot of speaking around each other, but I guess that's a podcast for another time. I hope the stories which I've selected for you in the next several episodes will help you to feel like you can tackle the issues in your life and your work and maybe even the world. In each of the show's episodes, I'll let you be a fly on the wall and experience some of the things I've experienced. Like every good story, we'll pair and share together, and sometimes I'll pair up with someone else right here on the show. And every time, I'll offer you a book that, to read that relates to our stories so you can keep learning. Then I hope you'll take a little goodie bag of what you learned back to your school if you're a teacher, or for our wider listening audience, straight home with you. This past year, like a lot of teachers, I had a year like no other as I navigated my assignment to teach second graders remotely for 170 days from September to June. This felt like a daunting task for three important reasons. The first reason, except for a few weeks of what I'd like to call proto-virtual teaching the previous spring in 2020, when COVID shut down physical classrooms and opened up Zoom and Google Meet links across the country, I really hadn't been trained, nor did I have any real experience with how to move students academically from point A to point B from an entirely different zip code. Another facet of this new job that gave me pause was the fact that I was tasked with teaching all the second graders in our town whose families had enrolled them in the virtual academy that our school district had created in what felt like mere moments before we began our shared journey. Just to add some spin on that Herculean task, students from the three elementary schools would coalesce in my one virtual classroom. So most students in my class came to our first virtual day of learning, knowing only a few, if any, of their 20 some odd classmates. And the third challenge was that I had, up until that time, 
waved a happy Zoom uh, hello to third graders. And I had never taught second grade before. My 28 previous years of teaching had been as an intermediate teacher of grades three, four, and five, with most of my time clocked as a third grade teacher. Now you might say, yeah, well, Kristen, third, second, it's only a year younger, so just stop your belly aching. You basically had the same job. And while you'd be right, you would also be very, very wrong. People who don't make working with children their profession might think that one year's shift is not really a huge jump, but consider this. I had waved a fond Zoom farewell in June of 2020 to my third graders, most of whom were nine or on the cusp of nine. Come September of 2020, I would wave a welcome to students, some of whom were almost a year and a half younger than my former students. Secondly, most third graders transition from learning to read to reading to learn somewhere during their third grade year, while second grade is chock full of just learning to read. And this means that second grade teachers teach a lot of the ABCs of how to read in the form of phonemic awareness and phonics. Once upon a time, I had trained as a teacher for grades one through six. However, all really of my professional career thus far had been working with truly intermediate students. I had a nice pair of training wheels on my instructional bike, but I knew that I would need to graduate not only to a kickstand, but a hands-free ride, which meant that I'd need to attend some virtual workshops, uh, watch videos on um, the internet to try to figure out what I needed to do in order to teach phonics well. Third, although reading and writing and math instruction are more of a continuum and many of the same strands are often taught in each succeeding grade with greater complexity, social studies and science are often taught as separate discrete units. So I'd need to learn all new content and then translate it to our unfamiliar remote reality. My summer of self-study had been helpful, but I'd been focused really on the delivery system for how to create and then get to work um, with my students and get work from them and how to do so in an, in an engaging way. So I found myself having a Mount Everest moment thinking about learning the second grade ropes on fast forward. As I perused the curriculum objectives for each unit in second grade, I realized that in addition to the curriculum work I would need to do, I'd also need to make an important adjustment to the order in which I taught one skill, telling time. My students' families had agreed to this remote program with the understanding that they'd be somewhat available to assist their second graders should the need arise. I guessed correctly, though, that this might become increasingly difficult for families whose adults were full-time employees. I hoped that some adults might play along at home in the first days of school, but I was fully prepared to be one of the only people on our Zoom link over the age of seven. What I needed in more than one way really was time. I know educators are always wishing for some more time and for their students to have a greater awareness of the passage of time, but clearly one doesn't even need to be a teacher to hope for a new fresh look at how we use our time. For this reason, I zoomed the objectives for telling time forward from the end of the year to the first days of school. The added benefit was that telling time wasn't really a materials heavy skill to skill to teach and I had included a bright yellow particle board clock with bright red plastic hour and minute hands in my student materials bags. 
I decided that our clocks would help me to structure the day for students as well as help them communicate with their adults about when to sign on to our link again after our breaks. We got right to work, noting the hour hand on its slow crawl around the dull metal pin, and we strengthened our number sense by learning that the minute hand marched to the tick of another drummer, counting by fives as it orbited around the pin. A little trick here or there helped my class to distinguish the two hands. I told them the word hour is shorter than the word minute, and so is the hand that shows the hour. Their little second grade eyebrows raised as they received this news. Another skill that all students struggle with when they grapple with analog time is the idea that the hour hand can be in a number of positions between the two numbers that delineate the hour. So after 45 minutes past the hour, there's a nearly 100% chance that students are gonna read that time as one hour later than it really is. So I likened the hour hand to a person who doesn't really want the day to rush by. The hour hand, I said, looks back and says the earlier hour when it gets past the clock's big six. I also built in elapsed time when talking about our recess and lunch breaks, and I made sure that students dialed up the time that we would return. I reminded them to teach their adults about the schedule by showing them their clocks. This really paid dividends, as most students were mostly on time when returning to class because the time was right in front of them and they were able to read it. I knew that students' grasp of the passage of time at age seven is tenuous, and that makes sense considering where they are in their development. Here's a story from last year, which illustrates young students' lack of an internal timeline on which to peg events and the way that they slide up and down that timeline when trying to place events and people. I was reading a nonfiction book about electricity to my second graders at our daily read aloud time. We were nearing the end and the author's later chapters focus on how electricity has been used to improve lives. I read them the page about how the invention of electrical power stations made it possible to electrify whole cities. One fact from the book was that December 20, 1880 was the first day that streetlights on New York City's Broadway were lit. So I seized the teachable moment to model how to add 20 years to 1880 to get to 1900, then add 100 years to 1900 to get to 2000, and then last add 20 years to get to the present day, 2020. We totaled the years to come to the conclusion that we've been able to see at night on Broadway for 140 years. There was some ooing. One of my sweet second graders unmuted himself and asked with a tone that suggested an absolutely honest second grader question. So Mrs. Murphy, were you around then to see it? And here's a hilarious ending to the whole read aloud story. At the end of the story, I commented that this book had not included some of the most recent uses for electricity because it was a several years old kind of book, but a great book for learning about electricity nonetheless. One student asked when the book was published. And so this teachable moment allowed me to show them that the publication page was at the front and we talked a little bit about the, the copyrighted material. The book was published in 2006 and we determined using our second grade skills that this was 14 years ago. A few students shared that their brother or their sister, cousin, neighbor was also 14. And there was a pause until another cute voice piped up. So Mrs. Murphy, were you alive when this book was published? 
I actually didn't miss a beat. I said, oh yes, remember that we covered that last time? I'm just a little younger than 140. Here's one more pandemic remote teaching story that illustrates how delightfully unencumbered that concept of time is, especially for young kids. One Friday, I was teaching my students about AM and PM as part of our learning about telling time. I taught a mini lesson that started with two time-related jokes, one time riddle that related to AM and PM, and then I taught the lesson. Kids were attentive and participated. I explained the classwork, and then I gave students the chance to do the work in the main Zoom room with more teacher help or in a personal breakout room. My class at that point knew that if they went to the breakout room, they could return to the main room for more help or to ask a question. About five minutes into the work time, several children came on back and they asked me for some help. <clears throat> they all needed help with one particular question. It was part of a set of questions asking students to circle AM or PM to indicate which time span would be the more realistic or logical time for a given activity. Each of these second graders was totally flummoxed about whether to circle AM or PM for the phrase eating cake. When I quizzed them on their understanding of AM or PM, it was really clear that they understood, but one girl said, but what about the cake for breakfast, Mrs. Murphy? So I ended up doing a lot of chuckling, and I agreed that this problem would present more issues for seven-year-olds than for adults because adults are just too narrow-minded to entertain the delightful possibility of eating cake for breakfast. Independent of how my students understood the passage of time, the real elephant in the Zoom room was the passage of time for my colleagues and me during our year of pandemic teaching. Throughout the year, my own class schedule changed three times, not because we remote learners needed it to change, but because the school system as a whole needed to change as most students in the district returned to school in person, first as a hybrid for a few days each week and then five days per week. Our art, music, gym, library, and technology teachers' in-person schedules changed to accommodate in-person learning, and so ours did also. With each incremental move toward in-person learning, every teacher in the district needed to remake our schedules completely. I worked overtime to try to keep things feeling as routine as ever, to help students feel that there was still a rope for them to grab to steady themselves during the most uncertain year of their lives, while allowing for a little flexibility in our schedule to keep things feeling fresh. Sometimes as we waved goodbye before our morning break or at lunchtime, I just couldn't believe how fast the time had gone, while at other times, I'd been ready for a break much earlier than my big yellow teaching clock told me that a break would happen. I felt those glacial minutes after having dealt with technology woes or experiencing the real frustration that I just couldn't get to help more students in our allotted time. When my own children were little and not reliable sleepers, it sometimes felt like the days were long, but the years were short when I viewed the time in the rear view mirror. I felt the passage of time this same way during our pandemic teaching time. My virtual teaching year was another baby, really, sometimes laughing and giggling away and occasionally colicky and fraught. Just like my own children, I really did love the whole virtual teaching child, but I reminded myself not to throw the baby away with the bathwater in those difficult moments. Sometimes we forget as teachers that we are the experts on how and when to deliver instruction. And we forget that our students' needs should drive the instruction we provide. 
While sometimes teachers aren't allowed by their districts to move objectives or to make drastic changes to the district plan, and some district decisions require teachers to change and, and adjust their instruction, I make it a point to remember that I do have control over how I present the material, if not always when. A colleague once told me that I was a tight but loose teacher. And actually I was flattered by this comment because it meant that I had attained my goal to offer students the comfort of structure and a predictable routine while providing for some flexibility and breathing space to allow for fun and creativity. Teachers can make a seemingly inflexible curriculum work for their students by dividing it into smaller chunks, teaching it for fewer minutes each day, by offering choice about where students complete the lessons. We can also offer choices um, or change things to allow students to be more or less independent when learning. Or we can offer the chance for students to scaffold the learning by working together. You fans of teachers who aren't teachers yourself might think about how to restructure your morning routine or the tasks that you have to do at your work. If your tasks seem insurmountable, grouping them into like tasks or pairing them with something more fun might help you begin and then complete them. Creating regular habits gives a productivity boost by helping you to make some tasks that you must do every day automatic. My guess is that you all brush your teeth the same way in the same place and at the same time in the morning and evening. So what else could you do with that kind of automaticity? Before this remote year, if I wasn't allowed to change the content, I knew that I could change how I delivered the content to make it resonate with my students. If our whole team was required to teach a lesson and move on, I sometimes chose to uncover the material instead of just covering it once in order to deepen students' understanding by connecting the learning to another subject at another time. This connection strengthened my students' learning and gave students who didn't really master it the first time a second chance at mastery. If you aren't a teacher yourself, you can think about the times in your life when you can connect one task with another to make it twice as easy to do or understand. No matter what grade I've taught, whether live or virtual, I always remember that the students in front of me are more important than the scope and sequence, the curriculum in front of me. The goal is to promote both understanding and confidence. Whether you are a teacher, as I am, or whether you have other life goals and ambitions, remember that the choices that you can make as you work toward your goal make all of the difference. You can be tight but loose too, because ultimately you're the architect of your own story, even when others try to tell you that you're constrained by their rules. So as part of each episode on Think, Pair, Teacher, Share, I'll offer you a book recommendation at the end of each episode. I'm a teacher after all, right? This book isn't necessarily a teacher book. It isn't a set of lessons or a curriculum. Instead, anyone, teacher or not, can read this book to improve their work and their personal lives in some way. I think it's only fitting that the first book I recommend to you is Dan Pink's book called When, The Scientific Secrets of Perfect Timing. In this book, teachers can find the best time to schedule math instruction and how to improve students' performances on tests. Non-teachers may find the section about building a daily schedule using the patterns in the day, or when it's the best time to start a business, quit a job, or get married really more interesting. This is the kind of book that I, the closet sociologist, love 
Dan Pink combines three of the things that I adore, research, stories, and practical advice. So this book will definitely change your behavior, and I hope your life and work in a positive way. So take the book, maybe pair up with a friend or colleague, and share the best parts of the book together. Ah, I'd love to recommend a good book. Maybe that's the real reason I became a teacher. <laughs> but I think that I say that about everything I do. Well, I hope you enjoyed the maiden voyage of Think, Pair, Teacher, Share, and that some of the stories about time have resonated with you today. Thanks for spending your time with me. I hope you'll think about how time factors into your life and how you can have time on your side as we head through the fall. Remember to pair up with a colleague or friend and discuss the ideas that you learned from the show, my book rec recommendation, and of course, share your own ideas about time with each other. Join me for the next episode of Teacher Share when I focus on another aspect of time in and out of the classroom. Not time exactly, but timing. Did I pique your interest? I hope so. We've all got some precious time on this planet. I wish you the best as you spend yours. And join me next time for another episode of Think, Pair, Teacher, Share.